0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of Fixin' to Talk Sports. I am your host, Ryan Brown. Today, I've got one of the usual guests back on the show. We're going to be talking some college hoops. Little Mike is here joining me tonight. Mike, how are you doing? Ryan, I am fantastic. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing pretty good, man. I cannot lie, although I am still reeling from one particular result in the college basketball (laughs) world yesterday. Uh, You know what that is. I know what that is. I don't feel like speaking about it because we'll never get to the end of it, but we probably will touch on it here in just a little bit. But it is March, which means March Madness is right around the corner. But to get to March Madness and selection Sunday, we've got to get through champ week first. So we're going to do a quick, dive on each of the power six conference tournaments that are coming up. The only one that we really can't talk about the bracket as much is the big 10 because they're a holes and couldn't finish up the regular season yesterday. They're doing that currently today. So we'll, we'll do have to kind of rearrange how we discuss that one, but you'll bear with us. I'm sure. Before we get into that, we've got to just talk about how crazy the finish the conference play was two Saturdays ago on the second to last Saturday of the season, we saw not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, not six, but seven of the top nine teams in the AP poll lose on the same day, including the entire top six, both of which had never happened in the history of the AP poll. I don't even know how far back the AP poll dates a quick Google search would probably fix that one, but it's, I can guarantee you, it's a very, very long time. It was absolute mayhem bedlam. And yet it really didn't affect like bracketology and seating a whole lot, but it was just the carnage and the madness gave us an early taste of what March might be coming up. So before we get into the conference dive, Mike, what were your thoughts or anything that you kind of want to talk about before we get into the conference tournaments in regards to how conference play shook out?
1: Um, you know, overall, I think this is one of the largest parody years that I think we've seen in recent college basketball history. There isn't one team that you look at and go, you know, that team is objectively better than everyone else. Not, not even two teams, really, like last year. Gonzaga and Baylor were just on a different level. They were on a collision course the whole season. Everyone kind of knew they were going, going to the championship. Uh, a few years back, that Duke team with Zion, RJ Barrett, Cam Reddish, they were just the big bad bulldogs of, of NCAA. And even though they got upset in the Elite Eight, it was pretty predictable that they were going to make a deep run. I don't look at anyone this year and go, yeah, they're going to win it all. I, I don't necessarily see one team as being objectively more dominant than any other team. And I think that, your note on the top six teams losing on the same day kind of shows that it's it's really anyone's game this year. Uh, conference play overall reflected that there was a lot of parity across the board. There were some some strange instances, um, like my, my alma mater, Providence, winning the Big East for the first time. Shout out them. Sorry, I know we we're gonna get to that later, but about <laughs> that. Um, and uh, like that matchup you talked about yesterday where, you know, people were paying $5,300 to go see coach K's final game. And he ended up losing by 13 to North Carolina when they hadn't had a quad one win all year. Uh, I know you had said we were going to get to that too, but I, I, I did quite enjoy uh, that result personally. Um, <laughs> but the point still stands that it's just, it's been a weird year. There's been a lot of parody and uh, I, I think the results of late are starting to show that and conference play should be interesting. It, it in a lot of conferences, it really is anyone's game.
0: Yeah. I, I really don't see one team that stands head and shoulders above the rest. Like you, you mentioned we've seen time and again in previous years this year, it just feels like any, like all the one seeds are kind of on the same line and the two seeds aren't really that far behind. If at all, like you, you've got a bunch of potential national championship contenders across the board from top to bottom uh, along the top seed lines. Gonzaga is probably going to get the number one overall seed just because they went through West Coast Conference play and cruised through that. Although they did lose once this year. They they did lose at St. Mary's. So that was a welcome sight. But even Gonzaga with all of the big non-conference matchups that they had uh, that we talked about last time on the pod. When we d- were talking college hoops, they, they still didn't take advantage of all of them. I think they went like three and two, maybe three and three in those big ranked versus ranked matchups. They, so that if they had won the majority of them, I would say that they probably would have gone that head and shoulders status, but they didn't really blow anyone away in those big time non-conference matchups and they looked vulnerable at times, even against lesser opponents like Tarleton state gave them a run for their money one night uh, that we talked about before. So I I just don't, I don't think they're. I think you're hitting it right on the money, Mike. There was a lot of parody this year, especially at the top. And I think there's on the bubble, it's just more of the same. There's, there's a bunch of, power conference teams with meh records that haven't really beat anyone, but their metrics look fairly good. And then there's a bunch of mid-major teams with squeaky clean records and the metrics are hit or miss for them. And so the committee is going to have to, in some cases, make determinations of whether they want to go with the teams that have gone several opportunities and didn't take advantage of most of them or if they want to give those smaller schools a chance when they didn't have much of a platform to do that during the regular season. So, I'm definitely going to be interested for selection Sunday, but there's still a lot to play out before that.
1: Yeah, yeah, I would I would agree with that. There's there's a lot that still needs to be determined. This week is going to kind of show you know who really has it versus who doesn't. When you get on that one and done stage, it's really a it, it's really a trial run for the NCAA tournament because you kind of need to see who who has the cojones to sit out there and go toe to toe with anyone one on one, knowing your your entire season really is on the line with each individual game. And for the lower seeds in these in these conference tournaments, to you know see which one gets a little momentum and makes a little bit of noise and pushes, knowing that that's their only real shot at that large bid, and for the for the higher seeds to see which ones care about, you know, actually positioning themselves for better seating in the tournament versus, you know, do we really want to risk it for the biscuit this week, or would we rather just, you know, save ourselves and focus on the NCAA's? And if we lose, it doesn't matter because we know we're already in. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, it's kind of a it's it's kind of a telltale week for how college basketball will plays out, of course. You know, I say that, and then you'll have teams last year like Georgetown who look like, oh, wow, crap team, but they won their conference tournament. They're going to make a run, and then Colorado beats them by 18 in the first round. And- <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I mean, that's that's the beauty of college basketball. It's just one giant shit show, but, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays
0: itself out. It's our shit show, Mike. It's our fun, lovable shit show. Yes. Uh, that that I do know. All let right, right, let's, let's get into – our conference tournament preview, shall we? Before we do that, real quick, I know another, another short tease, but I'd be remiss if we didn't bring up our picks last year when we did this, Mike. We didn't do good. We need to do better this year. The only correct pick you and I had among the Power Six conferences was our joint pick of Illinois. That was the only one that hit. So we, uh, let's just say we need to do better. Let's see if we can do that with the ACC this year. So, obviously, that is you and my favorites' conference in terms of that's where our favorite teams play in Duke. My team, everyone knows, won the regular season crown in Coach K's final year, as you mentioned. But your team, which I will not say their letters, spoiled, spoiled the final game at Cameron Indoor to earn the season series split and pretty much lock themselves in as a tournament team and remove any sort of bubbled out that they may or may not have had prior to that game. They ended up getting, the Tar Heels did get the three seed with that win in the ACC tournament. They couldn't quite get two. They tied with Notre Dame and I guess they lost the tiebreaker there. But that means that Duke and North Carolina will be on opposite sides of the bracket, which means they can only meet in a potential championship bout the league as a whole is kind of on a downward spiral. I, I, I mean, I think that's fair to say given the fact that Duke has been the only ranked team since week three of the season. So it's, it's been a, uh, it's, I don't want to say it's been a barren wasteland of opportunities, but the sort of marquee, sort of matchups for bubble teams to try and make their mark at the expense of one of the top teams in the league. Those really haven't existed this year, except when you're playing Duke. Uh, so with that being said, Mike, what what are your thoughts on the ACC this year as a whole? You know,
1: uh, I think – you kind of almost undersold it by saying kind of on a downward spiral. The ACC as a whole sucked this year, with the exception of Duke, who was outstanding from start to finish, um, excluding yesterday's upset win by North Carolina. Shout out to Tar Heels. I like to inform the viewers. We, we like an informed audience here of team names. Um, the ACC wasn't particularly good. My Tar Heels did have an outstanding record at 23-8, and eight, but I think Duke was their first real marquee win all year. They hadn't really beaten any of their tough opponents. They had... Beat up on all the crap teams and lost to all the really good teams uh, up until yesterday. Uh, Notre Dame, uh, quietly 22-9, and nine, but not really anything impressive. They were never in the headlines. They were never really beating top teams. Just another like similar to North Carolina. And the rest of the conference wasn't particularly awe-inspiring. I remember you mentioning Wake Forest at the beginning of the year with all their grad transfers. They had a similar record. Miami had a similar record. And the rest of the conference was pretty average to below average all year Virginia's uh, staunch decline to a, an 18 and 12 team is really the most shocking. Uh, their marquee went over the of the year was probably beating, you know, top 10 Providence very early in the season. But other than that, they didn't really do anything And the rest of the conference stunk as a whole um, ca- kind of disappointing from a conference that's supposed to perennially be the best or one of the best in college basketball. But they did still produce the top five team and that team should make some noise in the NCAAs end this week, but you know, I, I don't know, going to need to see better from the ACC going forward.
0: Yeah. There were a couple of moments for teams like Notre Dame. They, they beat Kentucky in the non-conference slate. So that's really the only win they could hang their hat on. Cause they didn't beat Duke. Uh, there's North Carolina who got the season split with, with Duke, but they're, Best win outside of that was probably beating Michigan, and Michigan was a complete bust of a team given their preseason expectations. Miami, they beat Duke in one of their matchups, but other than that, they didn't really have anything to hang their hat on. Same with Wake Forest. They they just beat, beat up a bunch of their their soft schedule. They didn't really beat anyone of note Uh, Virginia does kind of the same thing, although they did. Uh, I think you said they beat Providence. They also beat Duke. So they have a couple of, of nice wins to the ledger, but they have so many losses in a down year in the ACC. It's, it's kind of incriminating. And then I think the biggest disappointment, and that's going to be my team to watch in this tournament is Florida state. This was a preseason top 20 team, just completely underperformed from start to finish this year. They couldn't even take advantage of a down ACC. They finished with a 17 and 13 record 500 in league play. Like that just can't happen when you're supposed to be one of the best teams in college basketball. You just don't do that. So looking at where they sit for the NCAAs, I mean, they're, they're almost certainly an auto bitter or bust team. They've got no at-large path, So that means coming into the, the ACC tournament in Brooklyn this week, they've got everything to lose now because their whole season's on the line. But that makes them a dangerous team in some ways. So they've got a little bit of momentum coming off a three-game win streak. So if they can keep that going into the 8-9 matchup with Syracuse, they get a, a matchup with Duke. They actually beat earlier in the season, so if Le- Leonard Hamilton's crew is capable of beating anyone, they've shown it when their matchup with Duke, and when they won that. But that was that was two months ago almost, so it's 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 unlikely that they're going to be able to channel that version of themselves in Brooklyn. But they've shown that they can. It's just whether or not they can sustain the momentum of their current win streak. I doubt it, but if they don't, ooh, Leonard Hamilton's going to have some questions to answer.
1: Yeah, Florida State's an interesting one because Hamilton usually runs a tight ship down there. For them to have a 500 conference record and go from what they usually are to what they were this year is a massive underachievement on his part. Um, They're definitely a team to watch. For me, I think the team to watch is Wake Forest, You know that team that you talked about earlier in the year. You know, they have a similar record to North Carolina and Notre Dame, but because of, you know, a slightly worse conference play, they ended up as being the five seed this year. They have a, pr- a pretty decent road to uh, a conference semifinal matchup with Duke. And if they get there, you know, I think they're a team that could be looking at the outside of the bubble right now, possibly looking in, but they, they could make a run. It's been a weak conference overall. And if they get there, you get Duke and you get North Carolina, both of whom should get into the tournament you beat those two teams, you get an auto bid, and you might get a little respect, enough to jump into like a 10 seed maybe in the NCAA tournament and get a decent first-round matchup. Uh, with all the experience that they have, I expect their team to be super focused going into this, knowing that it's a lot of those guys' last year down there. And, you, you know, with with the, the right bounces and with the right performances, they could be a team that makes a little noise next week in Brooklyn. Who knows?
0: Mm-hmm. Looking at the most recent bracketology, Wake Forest actually shows up as where are they as a nine seed. Currently uh, that was bef- going into this weekend of play. Uh, I don't think anything has really changed with that in terms of, unless you want to say that North Carolina's wind sends them surging past Wake Forest in terms of at large resume, which is debatable, but I think Wake Forest right now is on the safe side of the bubble. And I think they've got some breathing room, even if they choke in the first round, that would definitely make them have to maybe sweat a little bit, but I think Wake Forest is okay for the NCAAs, but they could definitely use a good run in the ACC tournament to kind of instill some belief amongst the national media. People like us that really aren't familiar with them too much that they could be a player, come the NCAA's, maybe even advance into the second weekend.
1: Yeah, that's that's definitely a good point. That just for the record, I did not know that they were safe in the bracketology. That that is my bad. My apologies on that. Um, <laughs> but I, I I think that the point still stands that they have room to improve this week, and if they do, you know, maybe they jump from a nine to a seven, and then they get an even better matchup in the first round and avoid that facing a one seed in the first weekend of the tournament, because that's, that's something you almost not that facing a two seed is any better, but you almost never want to face one of the big dogs, even in a year with parody running into a Gonzaga or an Arizona or a Baylor this year in the first weekend, when they're going to be super motivated to go out and kick some ass, that it's not something that you want. So.
0: Yeah, I would, I would, I would agree with you on that. They, they want to do anything to get out of that eight, nine sort of sub area. Get get out of that if at all possible. Let's talk about some potential matchup or matchups of interest in the ACC tournament. Looking down the line of who might run into each other. Obviously, between you and I, our biased answer would be: we would love to see Duke UNC three for the ACC title, no doubt about that. So let me let me just put that one on the side. And Mike, give me another potential matchup that you would like to see in Brooklyn this week?
1: Well, I'll give you one involving the team I just talked about. Um, Wake Forest and Miami. They're the four or five seeds. They'd be in line to face each other in the quarterfinals, um, assuming things, you know, go, go the right way. I think are, are the four or fives, I'm not completely familiar. The ACC is a 15-team tournament, so is that matchup set in stone?
0: Uh, Wake Forest needs to win a second-round matchup on Wednesday versus either Pitt or Boston College. Assuming they're able to handle their business there, then yes, Miami and Wake Forest would run into each other in a quarterfinal matchup.
1: Okay, so that would be the one that would intrigue me the most because those are two really good teams that um, I'm not sure if Miami is safe right now or not either. I won't sugarcoat it and pretend like I know theirs, but they are record-wise similar to Wake Forest. Um, they have a similar, a slightly better conference record, and I think either identical or very similar out-of-conference record. Um, yeah, very very similar non-conference record. So, you know, it, I, I think that could be a fun matchup uh, between two teams that have something to prove and will want to get that shot at Duke to show the committee what they're made of uh, prior to the NCAAs. I think there's just a lot at stake for for both of those teams really long-term, not just this week. Um, and, and I think that could just be an exciting game with a lot of sparks uh, at the Barclays Center.
0: Yeah, there would be a lot of seeding opportunities on the line there. Miami's showing up as a 9 or a 10 seed in most mocks. Notre Dame is in that sub-region as well, showing up more so as a 10. But So basically, those two through five of the ACC are kind of in that nine or 10 seed range. North Carolina also was showing up as a, as a 10 in a lot of mocks before the Duke win, that should probably go up a seed line or so after the Duke win. So there's going to that matchup between or potential matchup between Wake Forest and Miami would definitely have, some NCAA seeding implications. And if Miami were to lose, that means they didn't win a single game in Brooklyn. I don't think that would put them necessarily in danger because being on the nine, nine line going into champ week is usually a good enough cushion, but we've seen crazier things happen on selection Sunday. So I think the pressure would probably be on Miami a little bit more in that matchup. But I think both teams would be safe if they're both there in that matchup. My answer is going to be another sort of biased one. And that would be a potential Virginia Tech, Virginia matchup in the semifinals. Now, in order for this to happen, Virginia Tech would have to upset Notre Dame and Virginia would have to upset North Carolina both of which would be perfectly fine with me because I don't like either of those two schools. But nah. the, the, the underlying thing other than my bias against North Carolina and Notre Dame is that it would actually set up quite the bubble battle between Virginia and Virginia Tech. A lot of people believe both Virginia and Virginia Tech are on the wrong side of the bubble coming into championship week if they were to string together multiple wins and get to that ACC semifinal and play each other, not only would the winner go to the conference championship and play for the auto bid, but that would be a third win against a potential, uh, a second win against a potential tournament team, and then a third win total. That would be pretty hard to, to disregard come selection Sunday, but the loser of that one where they only added one more sort of resume bolstering win, I don't think it would be enough. So I would think that a potential Virginia tech, Virginia ACC semifinal matchup would almost be a bubble eliminator matchup. So that would be very interesting and fun to watch. And I would get to revel in the misfortunes of the teams that they beat in the quarterfinal matchup. But that's just me. Mike, give me a dark horse or a bubble team that you think is gonna make a deep run. Or should I say, is most likely in your opinion to make a deep run.
1: I gotta give you one, it's Virginia. Um I know that the sixth seed, I know that they're not like your typical dark horse in a 15 team conference but with how weak it is a lot of the teams below them I think are a little bit too weak to make a run. Virginia's still well coached, they're still that same team that plays a you know stingent defense and they got a lot to prove this week being on the bubble. This is they're probably only getting in with an auto bid and I think they know that and you know with their style of play they can really neutralize a lot of teams offensively, force them to play their style of basketball and a lot of teams don't like to play that slow methodical half-court offense style of basketball. They like to play up and down. They like up-tempo offenses. So if Virginia can get in rhythm and get their own game going, they can beat anybody on any given night. Uh, I, I think if there is a dark horse
0: in the ACC, they're it. I can't disagree with you as Virginia was also my dark horse. You just can't count out a Tony Bennett-led team. They get that sort of warm-up game against either Louisville or Georgia Tech which also in some ways could be seen as a trap game, but assuming they were able to get through that, then they get a crack at Virginia uh, at North Carolina. It is interesting to note that North Carolina is Owen three on neutral floor this season. Mike, did you know that about your Tar Heels? I did not. That is a, that is an interesting tip. <laughs> so I, I think that I don't think that's a big deal in any sort, but it is interesting to note that North Carolina has yet to win a neutral site game. So the odds, while the odds are definitely going to be against Virginia, like you said, they pretty much have to have that auto bid or get lucky. At least they have to at least get to the conference championship to even get into the discussion here. Uh, But they're going to need the likes of Jaden Gardner, who's averaging, 16 points per game, seven rebounds to to really pop off and lead the Wahoos on a deep run. Otherwise, they're going to be headed to the NIT for sure. So let's wrap the ACC up and let's pick some winners here. I think our biased answers are obvious, but I will give a non-biased answer. And my non-biased answer is actually Notre Dame because I feel that they have the most to prove of the five teams that are most likely to make it to the NCAA tournament next week. Duke's coming off the really demoralizing loss in Coach Hayes' final home game at Cameron Indoor. I I am quite... I don't think pessimistic is the right word, but I, I'm kind of like nervous about how they're going to respond to that. And so I'm that quarterfinal matchup will go a long ways to telling me where this team stands going into the NCAAs. But North Carolina is going to be coming in on a tremendous high. I wonder if it'll almost be too much of a high. And then you're going to have teams like, Notre Dame, Miami, and Wake Forest trying to prove themselves. And I think Notre Dame is the best of that bunch. And that's showing, and I think that they proved them that when they beat Kentucky in the non-conference slate and backed it up by getting the two seed in the ACC. So I actually like Notre Dame to win the ACC conference championship.
1: Well, in the spirit of competition, I will not. For every power for every of the power six conferences, with the exception of possibly one, I will not make the same pick as you um, because that would be boring. Um, There is one that if you pick the same as me, I'm not, and you'll be, I'm sure you'll know what it is. But (laughs) if you make the same pick as me, I'm not going against it. Um, With regards to the ACC, I will also make an unbiased pick. And as much as I hate them, I do think it's going to be Duke this week. I think because of the loss. They're going to come out pissed off. Coach K is going to have them ready to go. They only have to play three games. That's a massive advantage in the ACC tournament. They're objectively the best team going into this. I think we're going to get round three of Carolina Duke, and I think Duke's going to come out and want to show that they are the better team between the two of them, and they are uh, deserving of a one seed this year. They're the four seed. They were the four seed this week. I think it's kind of debatable whether or not they'll get that last one seed, uh, but I think they're going to want it and they'll come out this week and show uh, their quality in the ACC tournament led by uh, the potential number one overall pick, Paolo ben
0: I wouldn't hate that. I definitely just have my trepidations on it. Let's move on, Mike, to the Big 12. Usually in the Big 12, it's Kansas or versus everyone, but Baylor in the last few years has kind of entered the fold and shaken things up. As the perennial power this year, those two teams shared the regular season title in another ultra competitive year in the big 12. It is going to be interesting to note that in the big 12 tournament this year, there will only be nine of the 10 league members participating. Oklahoma state is still feeling the effects of the FBI investigation in 2017. And they are sitting this one year out because of a postseason ban that the NCAA finally upheld. Hate to see it. These kids don't deserve it because it didn't happen anywhere during their time here. So that sucks. But as a result, the Big 12 will be down to just a nine-team tournament this year. Mike, give me some quick thoughts on the Big 12. Would you like? What didn't you like, if anything?
1: Well, I liked the top three teams of Baylor, Kansas, and Texas Tech. Uh, I think they all have excellent quality. I think they're deep teams. I think they're well-coached. And I think every single one of them can make a significant impact in the NCAA tournament. What I didn't like was Texas. I think Texas underperformed a little bit this year. I think that they allowed the other three teams to just show more quality and better coaching from them from start to finish this year and i don't know if it's just a texas thing or what but it seems like every time they try to make a big coaching change it always disappoints and they never live up to their expectations <laughs> or they're the 21st team in the country and i might sound a little harsh but i don't know seem like texas could have been a little better this year
0: oh they definitely could have been looking at their record against ranked teams 3 and 8 versus teams in the ranked in the ap poll over the course of the season that's kind of a yikes they had a losing record away from home. They didn't, I think they they did win their only neutral site game and they did have a, an above 500 record in the Big 12. But yeah, I definitely would have envisioned them to be closer to the Baylor and Kansas conference records of 14 and four than being that middle of the road below 500 where they're only two games better than a TCU or an Oklahoma state. So that's, that's, that's definitely, they definitely underperformed to a degree. I won't say entirely. I agree. It would be a little harsh to say that they vastly underperformed, especially given the fact that they're still regarded as one of the 25 best teams in college basketball. And they were far worse, far, far worse under performances from other teams across the country. I think when we look at the big 12 field, the team to watch here is going to be Texas tech. The red Raiders are led by do it all guard, Kevin McCuller, who's averaging 10 points a game, five rebounds, three assists, and a steal and a half a game. You know, the rebounds, the assists, the steals, and he also leads the team in minutes. So he, he kind of leads this team in pretty much everything but scoring. They've got one of the stingiest defenses in the nation, and that's backed up by their deficient, uh, defensive efficiency ratings. And a small part in that appears to be their death. They've got 10 players, Mike, with 20-plus games played and 10-plus minutes per game. So they roll out bodies and they, they lay on the, pl- the pressure defensively and wear teams down. They also own a whopping seven wins against AP Top 25 teams this year, including sweeps of both Texas and Baylor. Not a, I don't think anyone else can say that. So while the brand of basketball might not be the most thrilling, I'm definitely going to be interested to see how Texas Tech does in this field, given the fact that they have shown – they love playing and rising up to the level of competition that is the Big 12. So I'm, I'm definitely going to be looking to see how Texas Tech does up in Kansas City this week.
1: They are definitely an interesting team. I think they're probably the one team that can take out the Big 2 in that conference. Um, my team to watch would be Iowa State. They came into the year with high expectations, and they drastically disappointed, more so than even Texas, who I – had to open up this conference preview with um, you know they they're kind of like the Big 12's version of Florida State they're a team that should have been better wasn't and now goes into this week knowing its probably only real shot at getting in is an auto bid and if they don't have an auto bid they're probably not getting in so they're playing with nothing to lose they open the week against Texas Tech they didn't really do much in conference play, seven and eleven, pretty porous record. Um, but anything <sighs> goes conference championship week, and I—I don't know, you know, maybe maybe they find something, and if they beat Tech, then they'll get Kansas and then Baylor. So who knows? They would have three pretty marquee wins back-to-back-to-back if they were to win out and win the conference tournament and get that auto-bid. And that may help them uh, in the committee's eyes this week in terms of where they place them and possibly avoiding a play-in game as a conference tournament winner.
0: Yeah, I think they're going to actually be safe of the – what is it, the first four that they call it. Uh, Because they – Iowa State, Mike, is actually – owns the second most quad one wins in the country. I'm not sure if you were aware of that. Uh, I believe I've got 9 of those to their to their credits. So, it is it is a, the the conference record, yes, is very disappointing and when you take out the conference record, you realize that they entered conference play 13 and 0. So, they had lofty expectations coming into the Big 12 conference slate. Although their expectations coming into the season as a whole were very low. But once you start 13-0 and 0 as a Power 5 team, uh, even if you did play a bunch of cupcakes, you're going to get people's attention. And they did, and then they came out completely dragging their feet through the mud in the Big 12 before they kind of pieced it together, got some wins here and there resulting in the 7-11 and conference record. But as we know, that is life in the Big 12. There are so many great teams that live in the Big 12 in terms of basketball. And 7-11 is honestly not that bad in the Big 12. It means that you picked up some wins here and there and you lost a lot of the games that you probably should have lost anyways. And if you were able to do some stuff in the non-conference, then you're probably fine. And that's, that's kind of where your description kind of fits Oklahoma more so than it does Iowa State. Iowa State is showing up in mocks in that 8-9 range. So with the resume that they've already put together, they're, they're pretty much safe. But a team like Oklahoma is really going to have some work to do in the conference tournament because not only did they not underperform a little bit with their 7 and 11 record but they also didn't exactly do a heck of a lot in the non-conference going 10 and 3 and not really piecing together much of an at-large resume in either phase of the season. So the Sooners are going to have while they did beat four ranked teams, they also lost to eight. So they're they're going to have the most to prove and they're really the only bubble team here in the Big 12. So that's that's the one thing that we'll have to keep it to eyes on is can Oklahoma make the Big 12 a seven-team league? Yeah,
1: I'm going to be honest.
0: I'm on absolute
1: fire with these knowing the bracket <laughs> <laughs> That many quad one wins. I, I I just saw a 7-11 conference record and thought, oh, well, they need to do something this week. I I had no idea that they were – that they, that they had that many quad one wins. So good for them. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. I guess I'll go with the whole saving thing that I did in the other conference where it's like, well, they, can, they could, you know, use some seeding boost and they would get some marquee wins. So <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good.
0: Yeah. All right. Let's talk about some potential matchups. Obviously, this is one of the smallest fields in terms of the amount of teams participating uh, by a, a vast amount in terms of the power team power conferences rather so there isn't as many potential matchups to choose here but if you had to to look if you're looking at the bracket and you had to choose one what two teams would you want to see play each other in the big 12 tournament mike
1: oh this is this is very easy i i want to see kansas and texas tech in the semifinal matchup because i think that's really the final with the loss of jonathan chachachamo for the year for baylor i think that's a devastating injury that kind of kills off their their title hopes and could really, really affect them this week. I don't think they're better than either of those two teams that I just previously mentioned. So I think the stingy defense of Texas Tech versus Kansas, led by probably the best player of the conference, Agbaji, averaging almost 20 a game. I think that'd be a fun game. I think it'd be physical, up and down. Um, And I think whoever comes out on top of that will be your Big 12 champion.
0: Ooh, okay. I like it. Mine also involves Texas Tech, but I'm going to speak to a potential upset. What if Oklahoma upsets Kansas in the quarterfinal matchup and sets up a semifinal game with Texas Tech? Is it highly unlikely? Yes, Kansas is far superior than Oklahoma. But let's, let's just theoreticize here. If Oklahoma were to upset Kansas, does that get the Sooners back in the bubble mix? I, I, I'm not sure. But then if they were to get that win and add that to their resume, what if they beat Texas Tech and, and add two marquee wins to their resume? Does that take them from way outside the bubble looking in to right up against that cut line? I think it's, it's impossible to say as of this time. But just thinking about it, that's probably the most intriguing possible storyline that you can kind of create other than just like taking the top teams and, and seeing which of them can put on the most entertaining basketball game of the entire weekend. That that's kind of what it seems like to me. So I'm going to be, while my team to watch is Texas tech, I I think the spotlight is going to be on Oklahoma being really the only potential bubble team here. And if that matchup were to come to fruition, that would be very intriguing to see if the Sooners could take advantage of the opportunity. But first, you gotta get past Kansas. And they kind of are loaded again. So, like you said, Mike, it's they've got the probably the conference player of the year. And that's no, that's that means trouble if you're Oklahoma.
1: Yeah, that's uh Beating Kansas early in the Big 12 tournament is always a tall task, um, especially for a bubble team. But like you said, Oklahoma has work to do. And, you know, getting Kansas, Texas Tech, and and Baylor on your resume while getting an auto bid certainly wouldn't hurt. So it, it would be interesting to see how that plays out.
0: Yeah. Looking at potential dark horses here, we said this last year, and I think it kind of – remains the same in terms of both dark horses and bubble. There really isn't a true bubble team or dark horse in this one. The top four are all capable of winning. Maybe you could call TCU or Iowa state, a dark horse given that they finished the year with below 500 conference records, but Iowa state spent a large portion of the season in the, the AP rankings TCU never really cracked it maybe outside of maybe a week or two but they did just beat Kansas earlier in the week. So it wouldn't shock me in the slightest if TCU or Iowa State were to somehow get the ball rolling and put together a big week in Kansas City. So and like we are I've I've beaten the head, the, the horse dead on Oklahoma. They're really the only even potential bubble team here. So uh, I know the Sooners are coming in on a, a little bit of a win streak themselves, but I don't really foresee them upsetting the Jayhawks. So if I have to answer this question for the big 12, it's probably TCU, but, but TCU is coming into Kansas city losers of seven of their last 10. So there, yeah, there's not much, there's not much hope in terms of a dark horse or a bubble team in the big 12. Would you, agree with that Mike
1: yeah I don't really I don't really see anybody outside of the top four as being a legit contender here um those four should be in the semifinal and if they're not it's going to be a major disappointment a major surprise I don't think anyone else can win that tournament and I, I just think there is a massive gap in quality there after after Texas so um yeah I think it's pretty chalked to last year
0: all right, let's give our winners. I've got Kansas taking the conference tourney. I think Bill Self adds another notch to his resume. I think it would be his like 14th conference championship with Kansas, which is just absolutely stupid to think about. I think he's got more regular season Big 12 championships than he does home losses at the Fog, which is an insane stat. But uh, I've got Kansas this week. Who you got, Mike? You know, I'm going to take Texas Tech. I think you spoke to their stingy defense earlier.
1: I think they're a little bit better than people realize. I think Baylor is in a bit of a weak – I know that they've still had some success, but I think without Chachachamua again, he, he's a massive impact for them, and I think they're, they're going to be missing him this week. They do have two guards shooting over 40% from three, including a guy shooting – I think it's LJ Cryer who's almost shooting 47% from three, which is just outright ridiculous. Um, but but I think Texas Tech has good defense. I, I think they have a lot to prove this week and want to show that they can hang with those top dogs, and if they win the Big 12, they, they could be looking at a two seed, so they're they're out for blood this week, and, and I like them.
0: All right, I like that. I don't hate that pick whatsoever. Defense travels. Let's move on to the Big East, <clears throat> some would say best conference.
1: Big East best conference.
0: Uh, as you just mentioned – Earlier in the show, Mike, your Providence Friars won their first ever Big East regular season championship at Cooley's Bunch. Got to – is going to get to hang a rafter in the ceiling down in Providence. Kudos to them for a job well done. They they didn't get to play out their whole schedule in conference play. They lost a couple of games due to COVID. So despite Villanova actually – being like half game ahead of Villanova in the win-loss column, Providence gets the nod based on win percentage. So they get to take home the regular season conference crown. The other, the only other thing that I, I found of note is the bottom, the exact opposite of the standings. Georgetown Hoyas, Patrick Ewing's crew 0-19 in the Big East coming into Madison Square Garden on a 20-game losing streak. Holy crap. What a turn of events for a team that literally came out of nowhere to win the Big East tournament last year. They have hit rock bottom this year. Mike, talk to me about the Big East.
1: Well, you know, uh, it was Providence's year this year. They just... Every game, uh, it felt like a heart attack, but they they won just about every close game they played, with the exception of the two against Nova, uh, who had their number. Um, outside of playing Villanova and losing twice, they went 14 and one in conference play and 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 really took care of business this year. Uh, they they showed toughness, they showed maturity, uh, and they showed they showed an edge that they hadn't previously showed it was refreshing to see. And like you said, on the flip side, um, yeah, I don't know what the fuck happened with Georgetown. Uh, to be brutally honest, that, that's embarrassing. I mean, they, they didn't beat anybody, literally. They, they literally didn't beat a single Big East team this year. So they're going to have to do exactly what they did last year, or they're not going dancing this much. I don't even think they'd go to the NIT,
0: to oh, be honest. Oh, oh no, oh, hell no. Not with a 6-24 and 24 record. This, this is it. This is it. They're, they're, they're bad. Um, like, really, really
1: bad. Uh, the rest of the conference was tough as usual. UConn. UConn showed that it can, in fact, hang with the big dogs. Villanova was its typical self. Slightly disappointing uh, for them to not win the conference. But, you know, I'm not crying over it. I mean, screw them. Uh, and, and the rest of the conference was, was just about as good and tough as it always is. So a, a typical year in the Big East with the exception of the winner, which was a, a first.
0: Yes. So let's, let's move on to a team to watch here in the Big East tournament this week. Who are you looking forward to watching in Madison Square Garden this week, Mike?
1: The team I'm curious to see is Xavier they're kind of a bubble team right now that that I do know. I read something yesterday. (laughs) So I'm putting this out there now. I know Xavier is on the bubble. Um, I I know that now. Uh, And if they're not on the bubble, then I'm just going to shut the fuck up for the rest of the podcast. But they are from what I read yesterday, according to ESPN, they're a team with work to do. They're not a lock right now. They're the eighth seed in the big East. So they are going to have to play Butler uh, opening night. And then they would get Providence who beat them twice this year. Um, or actually, it might have been once. I'm actually not. I am not 100 sure if Xavier was one of the one of the teams that Providence only played once. But nevertheless, um, you know they're an experienced team uh, led by Paul Scruggs. Uh, the I think he's a fifth year senior too. Uh, they played one of the games the last time they played Providence. That it was basically the game of the year. It went to triple overtime at the dunk, and Providence pulled it out. But it was just one hell of a freaking matchup. That uh, they're. They're a tough out their Their record doesn't quite show how good they are. Eight and 11 in conference, 18 and 12 overall. They're better than that. They're better coached than that. They have better talent than that. They can make noise at Madison Square Garden this week. And I, as much as I love Providence, it wouldn't completely shock me if Xavier went out there and, and took him out and in the game on a Thursday night that they would be in theory playing. I, I think that they are probably, you know, the team to watch because they know that they have something to play for this week. And that says something.
0: Yeah. Coming into this past weekend, Joe Lenardi of ESPN had Xavier as one of his last four teams in the field playing in the first four. Uh, they took care of business winning at home against Georgetown. But other than that, Xavier has been slumping again. They, they, for the third straight year, they have hit some sort of magical wall in February and March where they just tank. They just they just completely forget how to play basketball at a high level. Now, like you said, if they get out of that first-round matchup with Butler, and honestly, it's kind of a big if, then yes, they do get your Providence Friars, and that is honestly a make-or-break game for Xavier because if they don't lose that, If they don't win that game, then they did nothing to help their tournament resume in the Big East tournament and likely we'll see other teams take advantage of it. It's possible that all the bubble teams could just do completely nothing to to bolster their resumes in the coming weeks and days, but it is unlikely that nobody will do that. And being so close to that cut line Coming into this weekend, I just do not feel like they can afford to not get pick up one marquee win in the Big East tournament. And unfortunately for them, that means they got to go through the top seeded Friars, which like you stated, they actually played them twice this year. They lost both times to Providence, but they were by single digits. So they can play, they can hang with Providence, but... They haven't been able to put them away and pick up a win, so I, I actually think that that's and this kind of leads into what my potential matchup of interest would be. That would be Xavier Providence. So I'll, I'll save that for just a moment. I, I do so I do like the the Xavier pick. They're definitely a team to watch out for because they're probably the most bubbly of any of the teams in the Big East field. My team to watch is going to be Creighton. Did you know, Mike, that they are led by a trio of Ryans? Ryan Nemhard is fourth in the Big East in assists per game. Ryan Hawkins is fifth in rebounds per game in the Big East. And Ryan Kalbrenner is second in the Big East in blocks per game and first in field goal percentage. I didn't know this. When were they going to – do I get Do I get to walk on to Creighton? Do I get an offer? Where's my offer? I want to play. I mean, listen, they're letting
1: every 10th year senior play this year, so you, you might have a shot. I,
0: I think I need to take a random grad course up in Creighton and walk on because if your name's Ryan, you're apparently going to flourish this year up in Creighton. Now, that being said, They did lose Nemhard, which is their leading go-to guard for the season to a wrist injury, and they have lost two of three since he went down for the season. So we're going to have to see if Creighton can kind of right the ship here in the Big East tournament, or if this is a team that needs all three of their Ryans to be fully maximized and be – or if they're just – If they don't have all three of the Ryans, they're toast. So that's – I'm going to be watching Creighton just because I now know they have a bunch of Ryans, and this is a pro-Ryan podcast. So go Creighton.
1: Yeah, Creighton will be interesting. Um, They were – I saw them live against Providence, and they – without Nemhard, they did not look very good. They looked like a very beatable – and punching bag ish team i think they're kind of done at this point um but you know we are a pro ryan pod here so <laughs> for, for the pro ryan's sake uh, i'll root for them to beat marquette um after that they would be in line to play providence so um fuck them but yeah you know against marquette sure go Creighton.
0: now back to the whole xavier providence potential quarterfinal matchup that's gonna be my potential matchup of interest we already have gone in depth on Xavier, but on the flip side, you look at Providence, right? This is going to be their first chance as a one seed in Madison Square Garden as the Big East champions. Like, how are they going to handle the pressure of being that top seed? I'm going to be very interested to see how they come out in that, their quarterfinal matchup, whether it's against Xavier or Butler. doesn't really matter. Obviously, I would prefer it to be Xavier, but I do think it'll be interesting to see how Providence handles the pressure, but they've also handled the pressure very well from start to finish the season. Their record in close games is just unfathomable. It's, it's just, it just feels, it's so like lopsided in terms of they just find a way to win every close game that it just seems unsustainable. So, I, I, I am curious to see if they can keep that going as well in the Big East tournament.
1: Yeah, they really when, – when I said they were a heart attack this year, I wasn't kidding. They legitimately – it felt like every single night it was like, oh, my God, on the edge of your seat, like, type basketball. And that's entertaining, but as a fan, it's also frustrating because you want to see them just blow a team out, and that's why the Creighton game is nice. Uh, in terms of my matchup to watch, I'm also going to put Providence, but I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. Say they're going to beat Xavier <laughs> – And I'm going to go against your Creighton pick, and I think Marquette wins that game. And the matchup to watch would be a potential Marquette-Providence matchup in the the semifinal, and here's why. If you take out the two losses to Villanova that were close games, Providence went 14-1 and in conference play this year. The one loss outside of the Nova games was to Marquette, and it was by 32. They got blown out. and (laughs) It was very early in conference play. Providence was riding high, and I think they just fell asleep at the wheel that night. Marquette's the one team that knows how to beat Providence outside of Nova. They've done it this year, and they did it handily. They're well coached. They're led by Shaka Smart. They're, they're kind of in their own little, like, prove it mode. I, I don't think they're a lock to get in, but I think that they're on the – they have a favorable chance of getting in at this point, I would say. Um, and a win against Providence would pretty much lock them into making it if they make the Big East Tournament final. They know how to do it. They're the one team that has shown that they can do it and can do it handily. Nova didn't do it handily. They beat them. They were the one team that took prov- took care of Providence in close games twice. Marquette's the one team that beat the crap out of Providence in the Big East. So not the best matchup for PC, but, you know, it, it, it'll be interesting to see that game on a neutral court because Providence did take care of Marquette in their first fixture at the dunk.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Marquette but you did do yourself dirty again. Marquette's showing up as an eight seed in mock draft. So, or mock uh, March madness brackets. So uh, they're not really playing to keep themselves on the right side of the bubble. I think they've got more than enough cushion there. I think what they're doing is trying to improve their seeding, as you've been saying uh, time and time again. And, They definitely have a lot to prove for it. I think they welcome that rematch with Providence in the semifinal matchups. I think that they're going to want to take advantage of that if they get that opportunity, which I believe they should because I believe they actually beat Creighton twice in the regular season. I'll have to double-check that real quick. Uh, No, actually, super wrong. They lost to Creighton twice, but as we've kind of... Nailed Creighton is not exactly the same team that they were when Marquette played them those two times. So I think Marquette should want to come out and prove that they are not going to lose to Creighton a third time, especially a shorthanded version of them and set up that as presumptive rematch with Providence, which would be highly entertaining as both teams score a bunch of points.
1: Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. I think that they're, you know, they have something to prove with the seating this week. They're probably safe. Um, a first round, I think it's kind of like what we said with, uh, I forget if it was the ACC or with the Big 12, but a first round loss might make them sweat a little bit, but they should be fine. It might just affect their seating. Um, yeah. But, you know, other than that, they're locked in to play Creighton and they need to be locked in this week because there's, there's no gimmies at, at MSG.
0: Yeah, I, I'm not uh, even if they lose to Creighton for the third time. I, I just it's not even a bad loss because Creighton is another tournament team in and of their own right. So there's no way for Marquette to really pick up a bad loss unless somebody from the first round, the first day of play, were to advance to the semifinals and beat Providence. So I, I don't, I don't, in that would have to be Butler. That would be the only bad loss that they could really pick up uh, before a final and there's no way there's going to be a bad loss in the final. I mean, it's possible, but highly unlikely. Uh, But speaking of Marquette, they are my dark horse team to make a deep run into the, to the final here because the the bracket just sets up very nicely for themselves. As we mentioned, they're playing a shorthanded crane team. They may have lost them twice prior, but this time should be a little bit easier. If they do have to play Providence, they've already shown that they can mollywop them. So Shaka Smart should have a chance to make a good run here. They've beaten everyone on their side of the bracket outside of Creighton, so if they can just get by through that one, if Justin Lewis and crew can just get by that one, then they've got a pretty good shot to make it to the final. Justin Lewis has been leading the way for the Golden Eagles, averaging 17 points a game, eight rebounds, and two blocks. And this Marquette team, their brand of basketball should travel because they are top 25 in the country in assists per game. That's going to only lend itself well to them going forward in tournament play because, as we know, having talked about the Boston Celtics and their isolationist habits of hopefully the past, uh, if you play team basketball, it's going to only help itself.
1: I would agree with that. And I think Mark, that's a good pick there. My door course is going to be Seton Hall. Um, They're probably safe. They're they're safe too. And I think that's why people are sleeping on them because they're the sixth seed and they got to play an opening night game, but their path kind of sets up perfectly. They get the opening night warm up. They get Georgetown. They basically get to go out there and play the JV team at the conference opening night and get themselves rhythm. Then they would get Yukon right off, right off the bat, which means that they avoid Nova and Providence. Um, and as good as Yukon is knowing that you get that extra night of rhythm and get that extra night to get used to playing. Um, they have beaten UConn this year and, In their are They played them close. I, I think they have the quality to beat Yukon and then, then it's Nova. And you know, it, at that point, when you get to the semifinal and final, anything goes. And they have enough to hang with the big dogs. They've shown that they can do it all year. I think they belong in the same tier as that group. And, you know, basically, I, I think getting a warm-up game against a really beatable opponent where you pretty much know what's going to happen, I think that does a lot for a team psychologically. Mm.
0: Yeah, I think I, I picked Seton Hall last year to win this thing, and they flamed out hard. Because they were in the four-five matchup, mm-hmm. so uh, I am not going to be picking Seton Hall to win the <laughs> Big East tournament. I'm actually going to make the same exact pick uh, that I made a couple of years ago, or maybe even last year. Who knows? I don't. I don't, I don't remember. My brain cells don't work as well as they used to, but. I'm going to take Villanova to win this one. It's a kind of a Homer pick because Villanova has been the cream of the crop in the big East for some time now, but this team still showed with a 16 and four conference record that they are no joke. Yes. They kind of stumbled a little bit early on in the non-conference, but a seven five record against right teams is nothing to joke about a winning record away from home is also very impressive. And they're the only team that can say they beat Providence twice. So I think they're probably about the safest bet as anyone to advance throughout this field. So give me Villanova to win the big East conference tournament.
1: You know, I'm glad you took them because this was the one where if you had taken somebody else, I wasn't going to go against you, and I'm glad I don't have to because all i got to say is five words. Us, we, together, family, Friars. Providence by a million. Give me Providence this week.
0: (laughs) I figured as much, and there was no way I was touching that one. (laughs) Uh, But I think that's going to do it here for this edition of Fixin' to Talk Sports. For Lil Mike, I'm Ryan Brown. We'll see you next time. Go Duke. Not fuck Duke. Go Duke. Thank you very much. I hate it here.